We are in the midst of a series of sermons about the Holy Spirit that we are calling Catch the Wind. The Bible uses the wind as a metaphor uh, to, uh, to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And we're using that metaphor and we're expanding it a little bit to, to include this image of the sailing ship. And we really like the sailing ship as, um, as an as a illustration of this because uh, a sailing ship does not have its own power to move through the ocean and to get where it wants to be, right? It is dependent on the wind to get where it wants to go. Uh, but also, just because the wind is blowing, it doesn't mean that the ship is making good progress. If the sails are not adjusted properly, if the course is not set to tack properly into the wind, then the ship is not going to get very far. And that is, uh, in many ways, what we are like. We are like those ships, and, we, uh, and the Holy Spirit is like the wind. We do not have the power to accomplish very much on our own. We cannot get where we want to do. We can't do very much ministry. We can't improve ourselves. And we can't make progress toward right living on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to empower us to get to our goals. But just because the wind is blowing, just because we have the Holy Spirit, just because God wants to be working in your life, and just because God is, is working in the world around us, that doesn't mean that we're going to be making good progress. We need to arrange our lives in a way that we will cooperate with the work that God wants to do in our lives. And in this series, we are learning more about the Holy Spirit and about the things that He wants us to do and, and, and what He wants to do in us and what He wants to do through us and how we can set our sails to catch the wind so that we can make progress in our sanctification and so that we can be enabled to accomplish the tasks that God has for us in this life. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, or spiritual gifts. And we're going to start here in 1 Corinthians 12, as I said. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So a couple things to notice right there from that uh, introduction. Um, first, we're, we're not talking about the gift of the Spirit which is a phrase that you see in, sometimes in other places in the Scripture. Um, there's a, this idea of the gift of the Spirit, um, which uh, <clears throat> that is a reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit, which happens to all believers at the time when they first become Christians. Uh, it's also sometimes called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike talked about it a couple weeks ago, um, this, this uh, indwelling, this initial experience of the Holy Spirit when, when we uh, first come to uh, experience the Holy Spirit, and that is sometimes referred to as the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what we're looking at here is the gifts, plural, of the Spirit. And let's keep reading in the passage here, and, and it'll tell us uh, what it's talking about there by the gifts of the Spirit. I'm, I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 7, where it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So here the gifts are referred to as the manifestation of the Spirit. That is, you have the Spirit, 
And here's how he shows himself or reveals himself, he manifests himself in uh, each Christian's life. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So here's a couple of key points that we see in that uh, description of the gifts of the spirit. First, Each one has received a gift. That is, there is no one left out who has not been gifted by God in one way and for one purpose or another. Each one has received a gift. Secondly, the gifts are given for the common good. They are not for the personal benefit of the person, or not primarily for the personal benefit of the person who uh, receives the gift. They are for the benefit of others in the church. Next, we see that the gifts vary a lot between different people, and and what we have here is just a partial list of of a few of what some of the gifts are, but the main point of the passage here is not to give us a, a big list of here's all the various gifts, but just to make the point that they they're different for different people. All kinds of different people get all kinds of different gifts. And then the the other thing uh, that we saw already is that the gifts all come from the same Holy Spirit. They are all the manifestation of the Spirit that is enabling people to do all of these various things um, through His power. And then the next section here in the the chapter uh, is one of the two places in the Bible that uses the metaphor of a human body to describe the community of Christians. And uh, the main point of that is that a body has a whole bunch of different parts that all have different functions and different purposes, but they all work together in order to form a single body that uh, is able to do all kinds of things. And and that all the different parts and the different functions uh, are all dependent on the rest of the parts in order to have a full life. And the conclusion of that discussion comes in in verse 27 where it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So every Christian is a part of the whole. We are all necessary for the proper functioning of the church. Uh, Verse 28, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Um, Those are rhetorical questions, and the obvious answer to all of those rhetorical questions is no. There are no gifts that are given to everyone. Um, 
So he lists there's, there's seven gifts, but, uh, but the same is true for all the rest of the gifts, too. He's just giving some, some examples. There is no gift that is given to everyone, but everyone has at least one gift. So a couple more big ideas from that section of the passage. All Christians have been given something to contribute. We all have a part to play, a role to play, and no gift is universally given. Now, one of the things that we need to know about this discussion of spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians, if you're going to study this at any length, one of the things you realize is that Paul is writing quite a bit about the gifts of the Spirit here to the church in Corinth because they were having some struggles in this area. They were, uh, there was some, some confusion and some misunderstandings, and, and, uh, and, and especially the gift of tongues was out of control in Corinth. And there was a lack of unity, and there was a feeling of superiority among those who had the more dramatic and impressive and, uh, and, and, and supernatural-looking gifts. And so in the midst of all this discussion of spiritual gifts, because it, it really goes from all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 14, and even chapter 13, which we're all a lot more familiar with, 1 Corinthians 13, it is uh, part of the discussion of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, you know this uh, passage, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What the Bible is saying here is that even if you have extreme, even exaggerated forms of all these gifts, they are all useless unless you are living in love. Even if you have faith that can move mountains. Well, you've heard that phrase before, right? It's an exaggeration. Right? Mountains don't actually move. No one has ever moved a mountain using their faith. Um, O'Malley Peak is not going to move out to Wasilla. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, it's hyperbole to make the point, right? Um, if you have the gift of prophecy, it says here, uh, you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Has any human ever understood all mysteries and all knowledge? Not even close. Even if I could speak in the tongues of angels, has anyone ever been able to speak in the language of angels? I don't think so. See, here's the thing. What the point is, is that no amount of talent or ability, even if it is an extreme, exaggerated form of a God-given gift and ability, none of that matters without love. So one of the other key passages that talks about this idea of the gifts of the Spirit is Romans chapter 12. So if you flip over there, it's, it's just a few pages back in your Bible. Romans chapter 12, um, again, uses the same metaphor, comparing the community of believers to a human body. And then it says uh, in... Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, 
So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So, so far we have pretty much the same ideas that we saw there in Corinthians, that um, we all belong to one another, each of us uh, has gifts that have been given to us. And then he says, uh, continuing on verse 6 there, uh, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's a couple of takeaways from this section. Uh, first, each member and his or her gifts belongs to the whole group. And secondly, make sure you use your gift. So that's what the, that whole part where he's saying, if your gift is this, then do that. And if your gift is the other thing, then do that. If your gift is, he's saying, use your gift. Don't neglect it. So, how do we catch the wind? How do we tap into this idea of the gifts of the Spirit? How do we order our lives in order to benefit from what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in, this, uh, in this area? And there's two really big ideas here that I want to... I really want you to hear these two big ideas. This is how we make the most of this. First... Since the gifts are primarily to be used for the benefit of the community, you need to be sure that you are engaged in the community of believers so that you can benefit from the gifts of the people around you. Right? So what does it mean to be engaged in the community of believers? Well, it means to show up on Sunday morning a couple times a month and you know, sit in a chair and then leave as soon as it's over. <laughs> no, that's not engagement. I mean, that's, you certainly need to be uh, attending services, but you're not really engaged until you get way beyond that. Uh, you need to be a part of a journey group. You need to participate in church activities like the softball team. They're going to be recruiting people to play on the softball team today. Or you come to the Memorial Day camp out, this is just a few weeks from now. Or the men's breakfast, which we had it yesterday, last one for a while. But, but get involved in relationships with other people in the church. A couple of months ago, I did a message. You guys might remember this. Um, I, I, I quoted a, an old friend of mine that I, I knew in South Africa who said, Church, we need to consume more food together. And that was one of the main takeaways from that message that I wanted everybody to hear was, we need to consume more food together. You want to be engaged in the Christian community? Consume food with, with other people from the church. And when you are engaged in the community, that's when you can benefit from the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to all the people around you. Second big idea pretty closely related to that first one, is that you need to be using your gift for the benefit of others. 
God gave you a gift or gifts so that you could use them because other people need your gifts. They need you in order to have a flourishing spiritual life. The church is dependent on all of the people doing their own thing for it to function best and to really be a healthy community. That means we need you. We need you to be engaged. We need to have relationships with you. We need, to, we need you to be, to be using your gifts in, in various ways. So there's two main ways to use your gifts for the, benef- for, the, for the benefit of the rest of the church, right? One is to get involved in serving in the ministries of the church. Um, so teach Sunday school, lead a small group, help lead junior high ministry, which is junior high ministry is a place where there's big needs and, and big payoff if you choose to get involved in that. Um, anyway, uh, go on a mission trip, serve as an elder, be part of the worship band. Lots of different ministries of the church that you can get involved in where you can use your gifts. So that's one way to do it. The other way is a more kind of uh, informal and, and, and uh, relational kind of ministry. Be involved in other people's lives and help them in whatever ways God has gifted you to help. See, we need you, and you need us. The church is an interdependent community that functions best and is most healthy when we are all engaged and doing the things that God has called and gifted us to do. So do you want to catch the wind of the Spirit's work in your life? Do you want to benefit from the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to all these people in the church? Do you want to have a great life? (laughs) Then get engaged. God will work in and through you as you are part of the community of Christian people. The gifts of the Spirit operate in the context of the church. And those gifts are one of the key ways that God wants to work in and through you. Now, I want to take a few minutes to talk a bit more about what these gifts really are that the the Spirit has given us. And we've seen lists in both of the passages we've looked at so far, both in Corinthians and in Romans. There's lists of of gifts. They they have some overlap, but they're different lists. Um, I put together kind of a, a, a summary of, uh, of ones that were mentioned in these sections that we've looked at so far. So here's, here's some, some of the gifts of the Spirit. The message of wisdom, the message of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous power, prophecy, languages, interpretation of languages, apostles, uh, teaching, helping, guidance, serving, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy. There's a lot of different gifts. And if we, if we expanded to other passages in the Bible to talk about gifts, there's even more mentioned. Um, and it's pretty clear that there is no exhaustive list in the Bible that, in, that just tells us what all of the gifts are. God works in many different ways in different people. Right? The Holy Spirit helps us to do all kinds of things for the benefit of the church. And some of the things uh, that the Bible mentions, uh, we really don't, I'm not even really sure what it means exactly. Um, for instance, what is helping or serving? Um, those seem kind of, that's, uh, what's the difference between the two of those anyway? They, they seem like the same thing. Um, 
and they seem really general. It's hard to know exactly what, what uh, the Bible has in mind there. Or what's the difference between the first two on our list, uh, a message of wisdom or a message of knowledge? Those are different things. I don't know um, what exactly is going on there. Many of these gifts are mentioned in these lists, and that's all we know about them. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, oh, yeah. The other thing is that some of these uh, seem to be like special abilities where you just are really excelling at what is an ordinary activity, right? So like teaching or giving or encouragement, um, those are things that many people can do with or without uh, a gifting from, from God to do it. Um, and what it seems to be here in those cases is that the gift of the Spirit is an enhanced ability to do those things. And then there's other gifts that are, are more especially things that cannot be done without the power of God, such as healing and prophecy and miraculous powers. And of course, the gift of tongues, which I listed here as languages. Um, it's actually kind of a, a, a thing. I don't, I don't quite understand why almost all English translations translate here as tongues. Um, there is no other word in the Greek that, they're, that this was written in for languages other than the word that they're translating as tongues. And so, um, uh, we, and we do sometimes use the word tongue to mean language in English, right? But it's not very common. It's a little odd, actually. Um, I use Duolingo. I'm trying to learn some Spanish. Uh, but I would not say I am using Duolingo to learn to speak the Spanish tongue. Um, I, I would say I, I'm learning to speak the Spanish language, right? Uh, tongue is just kind of an odd way of putting it. And, and I don't know why... Um, Bible translators have chosen to use the word tongue, which, uh, which just makes it sound like a bit of an a odd and different thing, um, when what we're really talking about here is speaking other languages. And we're going to talk more about that gift in a few minutes, but, uh, but anyway, that's a linguistic issue there. So, so, so some of these more dramatic gifts um, and miraculous gifts, why don't we see those things happening on a regular basis? Right? We, we read the book of Acts in the Bible, and, and, and which is the history of the founding of the church and of the first couple of decades of, of the church, and we see things like miraculous healings and prophecies and people speaking in tongues and, and, uh, and, and all these things happening uh, with, with a lot more frequency than what we see now. Right? So why aren't we seeing those things? Well, most of you probably know that in some churches... Uh, especially prophecy and tongues, are happening uh, every week um, in the, the more Pentecostal and charismatic churches today. So then the question is, why doesn't Clearwater Church and churches like ours have uh, the same kind of practices of the gifts of the Spirit that we see in those churches? And uh, I, I, we're not going to be able to give a, a full, complete answer to that this, today, this morning. I'm going to talk about it a bit here, but, but here's what I recommend if you're really curious about that, is this book right here. This book is called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views, and it is a very helpful uh, thing. It's a part of a series of books from Zondervan Press where they, uh, they most of them have four views. Some of them they didn't come up with four. There's three views or different things, but they take... Uh, topics on which Christians disagree. And uh, what I really like about this series is instead of finding an author that can explain all four views and explain what they all mean and things, 
they find four guys who really are experts who believe the four different views, and they each write their own chapter in the book to explain their view and to advocate for their view. And then at the end of each chapter, the other three guys each write a response to that chapter. So you're really getting a balanced viewpoint and discussion of the biblical data and of the reasons why people hold the various views. Highly recommend that book. I found this one at Tidal Wave for $6.95. I think it's a little bit more than that on Amazon, but uh, anyway, you can uh, read that book if you really want to get into uh, why we hold the view that we do about these things um, here at Clearwater Church. But um, for now, uh, we're going to give a summary of what our position is and some of the reasons why we, we follow it the way we do. And, uh, and if you want to know more, I recommend doing some, some research on your own. So, um, by miraculous gifts, what are we talking about here? We're talking about gifts that are not just enhanced abilities to do things that, uh, that people could do without the Holy Spirit, but rather these are things that are impossible without the power of God at work. And the big three in this area are prophecy and the gift of languages or tongues and the gift of healing. Um, all, all of those are presented in the Bible as things that cannot be done without the power of God. So let's, let's define what we mean by, by each of those. So prophecy is when God directly reveals to a prophet a specific message that he wants to give to his people, and then the prophet delivers that message to God's people. And the prophet does not learn the message by reading the Bible or by philosophical reasoning or by observing nature or, or he's not taught the message from another person. Um, the message comes directly from God. And when the prophet delivers that message to God's people, he delivers it with the authority of God. In many places, when a prophet speaks a prophecy uh, in the Bible, he starts off by saying something like, this is what God says, and then he speaks the prophecy. Or in the old King James Version, if you're uh, old enough to remember that, thus saith the Lord. This is, this is the words of God that the prophet is speaking, and they are authoritative messages from God. There's a great illustration of this in, in 1 Kings chapter 22, King Ahab of Israel getting ready to go into battle and decides, I need to get a prophet to come and give me some advice and, 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 and give me some information from God on this battle I'm about to enter. And um, so he brings in a, a prophet named Micaiah. And uh, Micaiah tells Ahab, who was a very ungodly king, that he's going to die in this battle. And Ahab is not very pleased to hear that. And so he orders them to take him to prison. And he says, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. You see, what Micaiah had said was the word of God. It is going to happen. If he's wrong and Ahab returns safely, that means that God has not spoken through him. That's not a real prophecy. So the second of the three big miraculous gifts is the gift of healing. 
Now, this is not, uh, the gift of healing is not some kind of enhanced medical ability where somebody who's a doctor or a nurse is, is a really good doctor or nurse and they're able to, to be really skilled and, and, and wise in their uh, use of medicine. Um, we're talking about the gift of miraculous healing. Like when, uh, the great illustration of this, when Peter and John are walking into the temple in Jerusalem and they meet a crippled beggar who's there asking them for money. And in Acts chapter 3, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. See, this is instant, miraculous healing. Um, and, 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 and according to our list of gifts of the Spirit, some people are especially gifted to be able to, to perform these kinds of healings as God works through them. And then the last of the three big miraculous gifts is the gift of, of, of tongues or of languages. And uh, Pastor Mike talked about this uh, some a little, one of the previous sermons when he talked about the, the day of Pentecost and the, the initial arrival of the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. And when the Spirit arrived, there was three observable things that happened there. There was a sound, which sounded like the wind. And then there was a, a, a visible light, looked like flames of fire that were above people's heads. And then people could speak in these other languages. All three things happened when the Spirit arrived on Pentecost. Um, and then what, uh, the, when they were speaking these other languages... Uh, they were understood by this big crowd of people who had come from all over the Mediterranean world to uh, Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And, uh, and they spoke all kinds of different languages from all over the Roman Empire. And then um, later on in the book of Acts, we see two other times when people spoke in tongues uh, that were the same as what happened on the day of Pentecost. Um, the big one was when the first non-Jews became Christians. You see, all of the first several thousand Christians were all Jewish people, just like Jesus and his uh, and all the apostles, all Jewish, and all the first few thousand Christians were all all Jewish. And um, but after a while, God sent Peter to preach the gospel of salvation to a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And when Cornelius and his friends and family heard Peter's presentation of the gospel, uh, they all put their faith in Jesus, and they all received the Holy Spirit, and immediately they all also spoke in tongues. Now this time, uh, there's no indication that there was any kind of an audience that heard and understood what they had to say. Um, it just says that, uh, that, they, were, that they were speaking. Um, and, and it says that they spoke in other languages just like the first Jewish believers had done on the day of Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. And the point, which is emphasized very strongly in the text, is that it was just like what happened on the day of Pentecost. Um, the other time in Acts when we see this gift is when a group of people who only knew about the teachings of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist had come before Jesus. He'd, he'd called people to repent and to... Uh, he was a reformer. And these guys had heard about that, but they lived far away. They lived in Ephesus. And they believed in, uh, in John the Baptist's teachings, but they never even heard of Jesus. And when they heard the gospel and heard of Jesus, they also 
uh, were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Now, why did this happen? Why in these three cases did the Holy Spirit give these people the ability to speak other languages? The answer is that it was a sign. It was, a, it was an observable evidence that the Holy Spirit had arrived and that God was at work in these people. So when it happened at Pentecost, it greatly impressed the audience, right? Because they uh, suddenly could hear the gospel being preached in their own native language, even though all the people who were speaking were, were Galilean Jews. And, 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 and you've got to notice that uh, it was not necessary for this to happen in order for these people to, to understand the message that the apostles were preaching, right? Um, sometimes we Americans forget how the rest of the world works because most of us only speak English. Um, but in most of the world, people speak a variety of different languages. And, uh, and, and in the Roman Empire at this time, most everybody could speak Greek. Most of the Jews could also speak Aramaic. Um, there was no need for the apostles to preach in, in all these uh, great variety of languages. It tells, it's listed off here in the book of Acts as Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and on and on. All these different people from all these different languages. But all those people could speak Greek. Uh, most of them could speak Aramaic. We didn't need the gift of tongues in order to communicate with them. Um, it wasn't necessary, but it was very significant because it was a sign that God was at work. And this was impossible for these people to be speaking all these languages. The power of God was at work here. And so the crowd, if you read the story from uh, Acts chapter 2, they, were, they paid special attention to what these people had to say uh, since it was clear that God was, was with them and God was working through them. And then in the other two cases of, of uh, tongues or languages in Acts, uh, the first Gentile converts and the conversion of those guys that were followers of John the Baptist, the main purpose of the gift in those cases was also as a sign. Um, it was as a sign of proof to the Jewish believers that God was accepting these other people into the Christian faith just as he had accepted them. Now, the inclusion of Gentiles into the church, it was a huge issue in the early days of Christianity. It was very hard for, for most of the Jews to accept that these Gentiles believers did not need to also accept all the customs of Judaism and all of the, the ways of, uh, of, of the Jewish life in order to be Christians. They, they, circumcision, kosher eating, and all the rest of that. They, it was very difficult for them to, to, uh, to accept this. Even Peter required a special vision from God uh, before he was willing to go and preach to Cornelius and explain the gospel to him. And God provided miraculous proof that he was accepting these people by giving them the gift of, of tongues. It was a sign it was a sign that God was at work and the message of the gospel was true. And the gift of miraculous healing actually had the same purpose. 
it was proof that God was working and the message being preached was truly from God. We see that in, in Acts after that, the healing that I mentioned earlier where uh, Peter and John healed the crippled uh, beggar. Um, many people saw what had happened there and they believed what Peter and John were preaching because they saw the crippled man who's now up and walking around and knew that he had been healed. It says in the next verse, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. And then Peter preached the gospel to them and many more were saved. And the gift of prophecy, that one is a little bit different, but it, it wasn't simply a sign. Prophecy also brought new information from God for His people. And this was necessary because the Bible had not yet been completed. There was a lot of, of, of new teaching that Christians needed. But once the Bible was completed and the various books had been recognized, gathered, and distributed among the churches... Um, the, it was no longer necessary to have prophecy in the same way that we see in the days while the New Testament was being written. In fact, all of these gifts were necessary in the early foundational days of the church in a special way. Christian teaching was brand new, and God chose to endorse the gospel in a dramatic way through these signs. But once the church was established and the Bible was complete the need for the gifts faded away. And that is exactly what we see in the historical record of the church. In the decades after the completion of the Bible, all these gifts kind of slowly fade from the history of the church, and they, they gradually um, became less and less frequent. So does that mean that, that God doesn't do miraculous things in the church anymore? Of course not. But it does mean that the frequency of miracles and of miraculous gifts of the Spirit is not the same as what we see in the book of Acts or in the letters to the Corinthians and the Romans that we looked at, which were written at the same time as the events of Acts. In the Four Views book, uh, the view that we hold here at Clearwater is called open but cautious. Open but cautious. That means that we do not believe, as one of the other views does, that all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit have completely ceased. That's the cessationist viewpoint. That's not what we hold here at Clearwater Church. We acknowledge that God can, in fact, continue to do extraordinary signs in order to attest to the truth of the gospel message. But we are cautious as to our expectation that God will do that in any given situation. See, throughout history, times of extraordinary miracles have not been evenly distributed. If you look in your Bible uh, and, and, and track these things, in fact, there's three periods when the large majority of the miracles uh, and miraculous signs took place. One was during the ministry of Moses, uh, as he led God's people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the land that he had promised to give them. The second time uh, was when the worship of false idols was threatening to take over Israel, and God empowered his prophets, Elijah and Elisha, to perform signs and do uh, signs and wonders in order to, to try to turn the people away from idols and back to God. None of the other prophets, aside from Elijah and Elisha, 
None of the rest of them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk, all these guys, none of them did any miracles. Uh, they were spokesmen for God, but they did not do the kinds of things that Elijah and Elisha did. Healings and, uh, and dramatic uh, signs. And then the third time when special miraculous activity was the events of the book of Acts that we see here when the apostles were able to do all kinds of signs in order to uh, show that God was at work in the new Christian message. And we believe that those miraculous signs were, were specially given to the church at that point of time in order to boost the start of the church in the world, and not as a normal, ongoing expectation for the life of the church going forward. Can God miraculously heal people today? Absolutely. Can he give a prophecy today? He can. Can he give someone the miraculous ability to speak another language as a sign that endorses their message? Yes. But it is not our expectation that these things will happen with the kind of frequency that we see in the, the book of Acts and in the epistles. We are open to God being at work, and we know that God is at work. Um, and yet we are cautious about these gifts of the Spirit that functioned in this special way to prove that God was at work in those foundational days of the church. But one of the things we see uh, in the, the, the big picture here is that God... Uh, intervenes in the world in special ways at special times because He cares about us and He wants people to uh, have evidence and have belief in what He's doing. And so at certain times, he's, he, he performs these kinds of signs and miracles and things to, to, uh, to be a persuasive thing and to get things uh, moving in the right direction. And, uh, and, and God can continue to do things like that today as well. So, let me just wrap up here. First part of our message today, we talked about the gifts more generally and how we can catch the wind of the work that, that the Holy Spirit is doing through the gifts. And the big ideas were we need to be engaged in community so that we can benefit from the gifts of all the people around us. And that includes serving the church and also just being in relationship with other people, eating more food together. And, uh, and secondly, we need to be using our gifts. Do the things that God has enabled you to do to serve the people around you. And then we, uh, we, we, we've looked a bit at why we don't see the kinds of uh, miraculous gifts being done here at Clearwater Church that, that uh, we see in the Bible and and, and in some of the Pentecostal churches. So, so let's, uh, let's lean into this. Let's raise our sails. Let's, let's get engaged in the community. Let's, let's be people that God is working in and that God is working through. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us gifts that we are to use to help each other. 
we thank you that you have given us this community where we can be a part of it and we can learn and grow and serve. And I pray that you would continue to, to work in Clearwater Church. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.